Hello guys, welcome to another episode of the Arsaholics. As always, thank you so much for tuning in. I'm Mize, Raj and Aaron and how are we doing lads? Good evening. Good. Good. Good to be back. Feels like we have to start getting into Arsenal mode again very soon, don't we? <laughs> yeah, yeah. The yeah. players are back. Pre-season is <laughs> upon us. <laughs> feels It feels like it's been a short break, even though we've had the Euros. The season's back already. It really does. Do you guys feel ready for some Arsenal again? No, not. not. <laughs> like, like, um, yes and no, because obviously quite disappointed after what happened on Sunday, but yeah. Um, It'll be it'll be nice once the season's back. But it just feels like really early still. Like it feels like still a long way to go until proper, you know, league football's back. It's it's pretty in a way not though, right? Because like literally our first fixture is in a month's time. Mm. What first league game? Yeah, thirteenth of August. So like four weekends, three weekends, four weekends. Yeah, four weekends it will be. Uh, just less than a month. This Crazy. Yeah, I I'm very much taking a couple of weeks of just simply ignoring social media and trying to not think about football too much after the last couple of weeks. That's pretty much impossible though, right? No, I know. It's like a, yeah, especially when you're doing a podcast about football. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, I can't just turn up and be like, I have no clue what's happened in the last two weeks. <laughs> but yeah, no, I think, and we'll talk about this, but I very much feel still a bit drained after Sunday's antics. Mm. Yeah, we will definitely get into that. Um, all right, cool. Well, yeah, we like I said, we're recording a few days after uh, England lost in the final. Um, uh, I guess had a few days to digest the result, but um, a lot happened in regards to the match, the event itself. But I mean, just in, in terms of the match and obviously the way it ended up, Pretty sad uh, way to lose a game um, and kind of doubly sad for us as Arsenal fans with with Saka missing that 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 penalty, um, which which meant Italy won. Um, I, I mean, we've obviously spoken about this privately or, or within, our, within our chats, but um, we're all pretty cut up about the fact that it was Saka, Saka who ended up taking that last penalty. And um, yeah, the scenes afterwards were, were, were not nice to see, were they? No, it's it's quite funny because I'm sure you guys can remember. So I, I went to the game and I'm sure you guys can probably relate when you go when we go to Arsenal games, right? And we lose. The experience of losing when you go to a game and kind of what you experience there is very different to what you see on TV. So mm. after the penalty, obviously I was upset that Saka had missed the penalty, but I didn't see any of the shots because I was sitting quite far away. So I couldn't really see him crying or like being consoled. I was just slumped in my seat, gutted that we had lost. And I still haven't really seen too many of the highlights because I can't watch it. I don't want to watch it because, you know, it's it's like the 2006 Champions League final, the Carling Cup final, when we lost to Birmingham. I'm just like pretending it never happened <laughs> um, because watching it back is just going to be too traumatic. And, um, you know, I saw a couple of pictures of how upset Saka was and I was like, I don't want to see this. Like, it's it's such a bad memory, um, so yeah. I don't, but like I saw like comments from you guys and like how upset you were because I assume they would have focused quite heavily on what Saka went through right after full time, um, and sorry after the final penalty. But yeah, so my my view is slightly different to your guys, but I'm, I'm interested to see 
and hear kind of what you you guys went through uh, after the final penalty. I think you know once to get a, to really understand, I suppose how I think I felt, and I think probably mice felt, many other fans felt. I think you almost have to go back even further than that, right? And this season. I felt Arsenal fans went through a journey with Saka where we just felt there's this kid who's just, he's picking us up. He's so important to us. He's just this like shining light. And and then I remember your tweet, Aaron, and, um, at the beginning of the England campaign where you tweeted, oh, yeah. which exploded, is your greatest tweet of all time. And it was yeah. incredibly simple. It was an incredibly simple tweet. And I think it was words to the effect of how Arsenal fans are all watching on like proud parents, basically. Yeah, yeah. And it exploded. And I think the reason it exploded is it's just so accurate. And I think all of us, we just, we, we really care about him. We really care about him as a player. I've never thought, I don't think there's ever been a player that the Arsenal fan base in my memory has cared that much about. That when he broke into the England team, was so proud, just wanting to do so, so well. Maybe the only person I could think of is Jack Wilshere to a certain degree. And through the campaign to see how he was getting more involved and to see all the footage from the camp about how loved he was, that pride was just building, building, building. And then when he gets to the final, the worst nightmare, well, my worst nightmare was him missing a crucial penalty. That's like the worst thing that could possibly happen. And, and I think when it, when, when that happened, I was heartbroken. Like, I, you know what? Like, I'm not the hugest England fan in the world. I am an England fan. I was upset that we lost, but I was heartbroken that um, that he missed. And there is a shot, that I think is the most heartbreaking shot that, that I've seen, which is there's a spider cam. I don't know if you guys have seen it yet. There was a spider cam footage. It's very high up. And it shows, it's above him basically when he takes a penalty and when he misses. And when he misses, you see him, turn and walk so slowly but he's walking through the crowd of Italian players who were just running across him and I was so emotional watching that it was so sad it was like like your child almost just being lost in this you know just a complete anguish and just loneliness and you know with the best will in the world when Calvin Phillips and some of the other players started coming towards him there was still quite a long time where Mm. he was there which felt like hours and it was just heartbreaking just seeing him and seeing the tears and seeing Gareth Southgate hugging him and you just imagine the words that would have been coming out of Saka's mouth and the, the feeling that he's let people down and you just wanted to go hug him didn't you mm. yeah 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 and I think you know it's it's because like like you said we care about him and he's you know he's a type of player that steps up like he's pretty much carried us all of last season and um, especially during that Christmas period he's a player that defies the defies the odds and i was listening to the the Askcast extra on monday when they were talking doing their wrap-up of the final and i think one of the guys was basically like with hindsight he'd rather Jorginho had scored the winning penalty and then italy had won that way hmm. rather than it happening this way of course because then you can just be like well you know like england italy scored and they, they did well and that was cool but for it to happen this way is, I think, the worst possible outcome that any Arsenal fan would have wanted from the final. Like, I think even, like, when you wear your England and Arsenal hat together, you'd rather say, like, I'd rather England lose in the last minute 
from a, like a Jorginho winner in the 89th minute than lose the way we did on Sunday, which was Saka missing the kind of final penalty. Like yeah. if England are going to lose, let's not let's not lose that way. But it, that's the way we lost, and it, it's 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 not good. Mm. And um, yeah, I mean, I pretty much echo would echo everything you guys just said it was that was devastating wasn't it and i was so my i, I was at so i was at a wedding reception which you guys fully well know i was at a wedding reception on sunday night at a uh, family member's wedding very close family member's wedding so um had to sneak off to a bar to watch it um in the hotel of the the, the venue so um although i was watching it um you know i couldn't listen to the commentary you know the commentary wasn't on loud or anything so i couldn't hear what was being said and i didn't really take in all of the the shots of of Saka afterwards, Southgate consoling him, all of that. I didn't really, I, I was, it was there on the screen, but you know, I wasn't really taking it in. Um, and I and I remember going back to the wedding reception. I've got to be quite careful what I say here because a person could be listening. But um, I, I was going back to the wedding reception, and obviously, a number of people had kind of watched it on their phones or whatever in the reception itself or in the hall of the reception. Uh, and this guy who I didn't know, um, but was obviously a guest at the wedding. He was walking towards me. We were kind of crossing paths and I heard him say something along the lines of basically giving abuse to a player, saying something like, oh, he, every opportunity he gets, he goes down, he's rubbish, blah, blah. And I, I I was so upset. I mean, normally I wouldn't even care. You know, I wouldn't even care. Coming out of an Arsenal game, you hear all sorts of abuse being chucked at our players from our fans, opposition fans, whatever. Wouldn't even care normally, but the fact they were Saka that missed, I was just wanting to know who he was talking about. And I said, oh, who are you talking about? And he said, Saka. And it was one of these typical fans who had absolutely no idea what they're talking about. And I just, I just went in on him. I just threw a whole bunch of abuse at him. I told him to F off, basically. I said, you have no, no idea what you're talking about. Um, he just carried on walking, to be fair. Um, but, that, you know, it's like, that was the kind of thing. So uh, uh, that was the kind of thing that was worried that was going to happen. Um, as a result of him missing it, you know, he's going to get all this, you know, he's been one of the best players for England, one of the best players of the tournament, kind of a, a bit of a breakthrough for him in terms of, I don't think anyone expected him to get the minutes he's got um, and, and contribute in the way he has. And yeah. it's like one bad, I wouldn't even say bad, just one moment, you know, one moment that is now potentially a lot of people um, are using to kind of, um, you know, using that as a stick to beat him up with, which is, which is really sad, really sad when you think about oh, his that- age and, and everything. Yeah, go on, sorry. No, I think to be fair though, I haven't, from most people who like you speak to that know like a decent about and follow football regularly, even from like the Man United fans I know, yeah, uh, the Chelsea fans I know, none of them are saying like anything bad about Saka, which kind of just goes to show like how loved Saka has been, even for England. Um, it's just this little kid that comes on does his bit is you know very effective for like the 60 minutes that he plays or the half an hour that he gets does his job doesn't moan does what he's told and everyone just seems to like him and you know and i know my you've probably got some quite strong views on this but like a lot of them were saying like why why did he take the penalty why why let the youngest player on the pitch take the last penalty and that mm. was that was their feeling but i think the real danger is like does it over time if England don't do well in Qatar, if England don't do well at the next Euros, and this is as good as it gets for the next 10 years, that's when it will really start to bite him, I think, because that will be like the closest we've got to winning a, a major trophy. And that will be the moment they show it again and again and again. Um, yeah. But I'm not, I'm quite, I'm kind of hopeful that this, like when I, 
like after World Cups, after Euros, we go out and we like do this big post-mortem on the England team. That didn't really happen this time around because I think a lot of people know that this team is on its way to hopefully doing well. Like it's been an improvement. We came close second to a very good Italian team. And hopefully over the next kind of six to eight years, Saka is part of an England team that actually goes on and wins something. And I think if that happens, then this will be forgotten about very, very quickly. I agree with that. I agree with that. I think that you'd hope in his darkest moments, he recognises that he's a major part as to why we got to the final in the first place. You know, so yes, we went out on penalties, but if it wasn't his for his contributions, we perhaps never would have been in the final. And you'd hope in his darker moments that that's what he, he realises. And um, it, I think... The team in some ways reminds me of the Germany team, which did so well. You know, the German team that actually knocked out England in that, uh, you know, the the game with the Lampard goal that wasn't a goal and all that kind of stuff where they were so young and so impressive. And the scary bit wasn't necessarily that they won. The scary bit was they won and they've got so much to go in terms of their, you know, their ceiling. And when you look at this England team, you really hope about that, right? Like the, the, these players are, are so young and... um there's so far that they can go. Uh, so yeah, I mean, remain hopeful that they can, they can do it. Um, and a lot of big players, a lot of great players have missed penalties at early stages in their career. We've seen Ronaldo do it. Mbappe just did it, Mm. you know, and, Mm. uh, and really, really it, I think the debate is an interesting one. I don't know what, where you guys do sit on this, Aaron, and you, you entered it. And I think maybe we should have that debate. What did you think about the fact that he took the last penalty? Yeah, I mean, I think you guys know how I feel about this. I, I, so I, I initially thought he took the last penalty because he he's put his hand up and said, yeah, I'm happy to take one. And other players maybe did, just didn't want to or chose not to. So it's almost like, who does Southgate have to choose from? Um, and he's gone for those five Obviously, Kane's an obvious choice, for example, and he brought on Rashford and uh, Sancho for that exact reason. But when you watch the huddle back, I don't know if you guys have seen this, when you watch the huddle back, Southgate has his notepad and he's going round to the five players and says, right, you're taking one or you're taking this number. And then, you know, and he goes over to to Sancho and then he goes over to Saka and you see him say to Saka, you're taking one. Obviously, I don't know the exact words he's used, but, you know, you can tell by the body language and everything. And Saka just sort of says, yes. So I don't know if that's been pre-agreed or or what, but I think, I mean, I think in hindsight, it's obviously a really bad decision, right? So, um, yeah. you know, in, in hindsight, it's very easy to say that now and, and things could have gone very differently because a penalty is a penalty, right? And he could have very just as easily have scored. Um, but I think it is a questionable decision from whoever's made that decision, assuming it's Southgate or he's been advised by kind of his assistants and coaches and stuff. I just think, you know, however well someone might do uh, in a training pitch or training environment um, with like zero pressure. Um, even if they're putting, if they take a hundred penalties and they score every single one, it's it's very, very different. And I think the fact that he is one of the most experienced, inexperienced players, um, he's never taken a senior penalty in his career um, and his age all should have been taken into to consideration. And I think we talked about this, right? Like we, we were looking at who are the other players that could have potentially taken one and some of the more senior players. And there's some obvious names in there. Even players like John Stones, like we saw how good Maguire's penalty was. Even players like mm. John Stones, 
Um, I can't remember exactly who else was on the pitch, but Carl Walker was still on the pitch, I think. Was he? Maybe, maybe not. Yeah. Um, and then we talked about Sterling and the kind of theory I had with Sterling was, I could be wrong, is that I personally think that Sterling, I mean, he's taken penalties from Man City, right? Um, but I think with all the abuse that Sterling has got over the last few years, for, you know, um, from the media um, when playing for England, I, I think he just looked at it and thought, if I miss this penalty, you know, has how bad it's been for him. Um, you know, he's not able to like walk out of his house without someone saying something uh, and putting it all over, you know, the front page of a paper or whatever. I just thought, I just think he's probably looked at it and thought it's not worth it. It's almost not worth me taking the risk of missing it. Maybe, maybe, I I don't know. I I, I just think that because of how bad he's got it in recent months, in recent years. And it's like, it's, it's, it doesn't even get talked about as much as it should. Like it does get talked about, but I think, I feel like it's so bad. Some of the things that get written about him and some of the stories that, the papers come up with and they turn, you know, the smallest of things into, you know, a, a, a massive story and, and people actually read it and believe it and kind of join in on the abuse. Um, and obviously I think the fact that he's black as well, obviously, you know, contributes to that. And I think he just looked at the whole thing and maybe thought, you know, I, if I miss his penalty, I'm going to be vilified um, worse than kind of Beckham was when he got sent off against Argentina. It's going to be like 10, hundred times worse. That's the only reason I can think of someone like him choosing not to take one, if that's what's happened. I'd be surprised if he chose not to take a penalty. Like, if he genuinely said... Then he takes them, he's taken them for Man City in the past, right? Yeah, I know they've I, got I, a few penalty takers. I honestly think it was it was Southgate's decision. Like, he looked at everyone training. Because I think, I think Sterling's missed a few in the past as well for City. Um, and... What I'm guessing happened is Saka being Saka was probably smashing them in in the training ground. And he's gone, well, these are the five best takers. I want these players on. Um, yeah. So this does bother me a little bit. Yeah. It, it bothers me because you're probably correct. And that's why it bothers me. The reason why I say yeah. that is Gary Neville did say it as well. Gary Neville said, listen, I've worked with the England squad before. If, if the amount of preparation they do into penalty shootouts is huge. And the amount of stats that they will look at to figure out who their penalty takers are going to be, it, it's it's very meticulous. And that winds me up even more because if that's true, then then I'm sorry, but you're interpreting the data in a very, very basic way. And, it, and maybe it sounds out of order for me to say that. Who am I to say that? But what I'd say is if to some people they're sort of saying, well, look, they clearly put a lot of effort into figuring out what who's going to take the penalties. And therefore, they probably looked at Grealish's record. They probably looked at Sterling's record and some of the other more senior players' record. And they probably thought, do you know what? It's not that great. I'm sorry, but like, if you factored that in and then you basically said, oh, so instead we're going to use Bakaya Saka, who's never taken a penalty in professional football, then that's just nonsense. What I have, where I have the issue is, I don't, if Saka's smashing them in training, make him take a penalty, but... Put him at number two or number three. Do mm. not get. There is no situation where, even if England are two, like one penalty up, and it's Saka to score the winner to win us the Euros. That's an incredibly high pressure penalty um, to take as well. Like, if, and if he misses that and it goes to another round of kicks, it's still not a good place to do that. Whereas if he's number, like, fair enough, you want your best penalty taker, Kane, taking number one. I think Kane took the first one, right? Mm-hmm. But. Like, put Saka at number two if he's that good to take a penalty. And in fairness, I guess they put Maguire, and Maguire similarly probably wasn't an experienced taker at two. Yeah, fine. Yeah, but then there's no way that you say, I'd rather have... I'd, I'd, 
I'm comfortable putting the youngest player in the team, except Bellingham, I guess, at number five in mm-hmm. the most high pressure penalty shot. It is a really, really odd. Like put him at three, put him at, put him at four and five are quite high pressure. But like, it's just, it's such a high risk. And even, I, I know Saka, and Saka will probably be the type of guy who's going to be like, I'm confident, I'll take it. I can do this, but just protect your player. Like Southgate of all players, mm. of all managers, sorry, should know what it's like. And to burden Saka with that, I think is just quite irresponsible management of a young player. All of this backs up Miser's theory, which is that actually, and Mourinho's theory, which is that actually a lot of the big players may have just bottled it. And, and, and I saw Grealish tweeted the next day that he wanted to take a penalty, right? Okay. I get that. But you know, like at the end of the day, okay, let's say if we play it out in reality and if we play it out and think, okay, let's just say Grealish sort of, said in some way listen boss like I'll take one if you need me to like Southgate may have been able to tell between the lines if he really said that with the utmost confidence or whether he was just saying that because he didn't want to like look what he didn't want to save face listen I'm making it's out of order for me to say that I don't know the truth I don't know I don't know but I would say that for all the reasons that you've described as to why it's baffling as to why you make a 19 year old player take your final penalty when they've never ever taken a penalty in professional football it just smells that something wasn't part of the plan the other reason why I believe it probably wasn't part of the plan is because yes fine Rashford and Sancho came on specifically to take penalties so clearly Southgate were like these guys are good at penalties I want them on and I think that was the right decision okay let's whatever but Saka wasn't Saka didn't start the game and he was brought on at a point in the game where they wanted to change shape and they wanted to try something different. It wasn't to take a penalty. So in, I don't think that Saka would have gone into Southgate's mind as, okay, you know, if I had my ideal five penalty takers, who would they have been? Like, because it feels a little bit too happenstance if that is actually the case. You see the clip afterwards. He's literally going from one, two, he's got a piece of paper. He's going one, Mm. Kane, two, thing. And I think... It looked like, so what it looked like to me was he went to Saka five. He did. And he sort yeah. of looked at Graylish. I think he went to like Pickford after that. So I think yeah. Pickford might have been six or seven. But let's talk do, about that. How do we know? Really sorry, trouble. How do we know that there wasn't a conversation before that that wasn't that wasn't captured where actually he Maybe. went to some of these players and said, do you want to take one? Do you want to take one? Do you want to take one? Because the, the, the clip that you're talking about, he's literally going one, two, you're three. Your four. So, how do we know that it wasn't, a, you know, a bit before that where he was going, right, lad, like who's up for it? Who wants to but take no, one? There's whatever. no way you go into a tournament final yeah. not knowing who your five penalty takers are. Like, no, we I have think... a few like what if situations of like, okay, well, if I run out of subs, I'll do this. But given no, but he brought on two players to take penalties, I was going to say, so it, this, right? isn't Raj saying that a couple of the players that were in that five have basically changed their mind at, at, when it's got to the moment of? You know, on after, the day. Oh, yeah, okay. after extra time, yeah. I mean, you don't know, right? Like, it's it's possible, but it's I think. Possible, yeah. Come on, these are senior professional players. Look, I know it's scary, but like you're you're on the pitch to take penalties to win your country. Uh, like, if they have bottled it, that's an absolute like it's an absolute joke if they have. And I don't think players like this, this is a good team for live courageous. But then, like, it doesn't it players. doesn't make sense why someone like Sterling wouldn't take it. Like the guy has you know, won basically everything in the game 
okay, bar the Champions League. Um, you know, he's he's not exactly a young player anymore. You know, he's had plenty of games for England, plenty of experience, been to tournaments before, taken penalties before. You know, that, that, that there's no. I just I, yeah, I, I I can't believe that even if he missed every single one in training. Okay, not every single one. That's an exaggeration. You know, even if he <laughs> yeah. was missing them in in training or in the practice, whatever, whatever. Like, he's still probably one of the best penalty takers in the squad and he's an attacking player as well, you know, like, you know, and he's, so I just, I don't know. I just can't really think of any other reason why he wouldn't take one apart from the fact that he's just said, I don't want to take one. If you think about why he might want to take one, they're the reasons I gave before the most obvious reasons for me. Grealish is a weird one because his tweet was really weird as well, because he said something like the gaffers made brilliant decisions all tournament, but I really wanted to take one. Yeah. So he's like, he's basically saying that he said he wanted to take one, but Southgate, decided that like did a yeah, pick him. instead but yeah. then that's that's really easy to say that after we fucking lost and sorry for my excuse my french and um <laughs> yeah like you know i just i don't know i just think yeah yeah i wonder do you think do you think in any way southgate in his mind was just like wouldn't the most amazing thing be for bukayo saka to win us the euros no this is the most come on, this is the most risk of us manager like yeah. in Europe, I can't see. I can't. See. <laughs> no, which is why I don't. Still don't understand why he's gone with Saka at five. Like this is a guy who plays chooses to play a back five, um, like quite often. It's the guy who plays like midfielders, and like what one of the probably biggest failings in the final is that we didn't really go for it when we had mm-hmm. the chance. Um, and then all of a sudden he's right. Like yeah, yeah. Because yeah. lots of people say sorry, enjoy right. No, lots no, of sorry. people say like. Oh yeah, but cl- come on, guys! Clearly, Saka must have been nailing it in training, and that's why. Like, I but mean, that has all to be the only reason. But all these players, all these former players, and Southgate will know it better than anyone. No, they all say when it and it comes to an actual penalty shootout, you can't prepare for that. Like, mm. it's not like training. Taking penalties in training has got nothing to do. It cannot replicate that. So, if that's true, and if professional players all know that, and Southgate will bloody well know that, then how could they have thought that it wouldn't have? affected him and, and maybe geez maybe Saka has just filled them with all kinds of ridiculous confidence game. This I think, guy that, I think that's what it was I think, I think that's what it is I think they just love him and he's been smashing them in training he was like I want to take a penalty and you know because I would put Saka at like number 9 or number 10 if I was <laughs> going to do this because I'd be like you know you've got Stones you've got Pickford you've got a couple of others and then you get to like the likes of Calvin Phillips and Mason Mount like Mason Mount's won the Champions League, right? So, like these players know how to play in pressure games. Saka is just, you know, playing his third, fourth international game, um, and I just think, I don't do that to the kid. It's like fair enough if he gets the penalty number nine and he's missed. You just think, well, like okay, that's tough luck. We got to like nine penalties. Everyone else has smashed it, and you know, Saka, one of the youngest players, just misses out. Like, if a goalkeeper misses a penalty, you're not going to get too angry. Like, when De Gea missed the penalty in the Europa League final, like, I think United fans were like, well, that's just De Gea, right? Um, <laughs> and that's just unlucky. But you pick your five best penalty takers to start a penalty shootout. And there is nothing to, like, to suggest that Saka is one of England's five best penalty takers based on what we've seen. Which is nothing. Yeah, which is Joe, but because he's never taken one, so yeah, yeah. The other thing that was, I thought, I mean, look, Southgate, it got a lot of kind of uh criticism for the approach, as you touched on Aaron and, and being quite conservative and all the rest of it, but at the end, they got to the final and um, deserves a lot of credit for that. Um, 
But one thing that I was quite baffled about in the final, aside from, yeah, the kind of the, the timing of the substitutions in general or the lack of, is he brought Sancho and Rashford on, all right, fine, to take the penalties. It, it was like the 119th minute, I yeah, think. Yeah, yeah. And that's just, I don't know about you guys, but that, I feel like that's just way too late. Like, I get that a penalty is, you know, a dead ball situation and whatever, but it just feels like they weren't given even just a few minutes to get a few touches of the ball and kind of just, I don't know, feel part of the game almost. Like it was a very, very cold thing to come in and do with yeah. literally what, I don't know how long they had, a minute, maybe two max. And I think that's a really weird decision as well. Um, if they, you know, it wasn't just one person who was bringing, it was two of them, like two of them to take, you know, two of the penalty takers. Um, and I think that really, obviously they both missed, right? So that, I think that obviously really cost us. Yeah, I mean, hindsight is like a wonderful thing, but I like, you don't normally see that happen. No, like you see you them get like the second half of extra time. And, you know, there's, there's warrant in doing that just generally to win the game. Um, bring on like two decent attacking players to try and do something, but then if they're still on the pit and we'll go to penalties, then so be it. I, um, you know, I wish, I wish we kind of did go for it. And if we lost it an extra time, so be it. I'd rather lose an extra time than lose on penalties. I think to build on Miser's point as well, I think when you have players who just come on for literally like, you know, 30 seconds or whatever, one of the things they probably wouldn't have had time to digest is the physical imposition of Donnarumma. Like, he, you know, he's such a massive Goliath of a keeper. And, you know, the other players during the game would have probably realized that there probably were times where they're like, bloody hell, okay, whatever. But if basically you've just come on the pitch and then suddenly you're about to take a penalty and it's a pressure situation and this absolute giant like is there, it must be pretty scary. Like from a, from a kind of, you probably second guess and kind of go, oh, hang on a minute. Like, do I go the way I normally go? Do I, you know, whatever. Yeah, You've yeah. not had time to deal with those feelings. It, it it must be pretty scary. I haven't actually seen Saka's penalty since. Like, was it a good penalty? Was it? It wasn't a good penalty, but I think the impressive thing of what Donnarumma was doing was he wasn't moving. Like, yeah, so yeah. so even with, with um, you know, Rashford, what, you know, what it seems to be the case is that he stood and he stood and he stood and he stood and he waited and he waited and he waited. And it looked like Rashford ended up changing his mind as to which direction. Yeah, that was weird. I remember seeing that and I was like, what's, what's going on? Like, cause I was like, has he like, has he not heard the whistle? He was, wait, he was waiting for Donnarumma to move, basically, and he didn't. So yeah, yeah, yeah I remember that. Probably put him on. I don't think about Saka's penalty was awful. Like, yeah, it wasn't. A, it, it was the perfect. It was the perfect height for him to save in. It wasn't in the court. Like, it wasn't. Um, yeah, it wasn't uh, as far wide of the keeper as it could have been. So it wasn't a particularly difficult. It's basically one of those. If you go the right way, you're going to save it. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, mid height. So yeah. Um. All right. Well, obviously, there's been a lot of fallout. Following the, the game, um, uh, we we could talk about the 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 kind of uh, the reaction to from a lot of people um, towards the three players that missed. We could probably talk about that for a whole episode separately, but I guess we should we should touch on it. Um, I think we're planning to we are planning to talk, to do a kind of separate episode on kind of um, racism in, within football um, at some point, but. Uh, yes, yeah, uh, reared its ugly head again uh, on the back of this. Um, Aaron, and you you mentioned that you obviously went to the game um, on Sunday. I, I take it you didn't you didn't you didn't hear it like after after this all happened after we lost you didn't hear anything towards those players or because I re- just I'm just asking because I read some stuff on on social media on on Twitter um, 
people like following the game, people who either went to Wembley or would like out watching the game yeah. in the city or whatever, you know, they like basically people of, you know, Asian people, um, uh, people from ethnic minorities were basically just getting um, uh, uh, abuse um, on the, on the back of those nah, three players. None of that happened. It was like compared and we can talk about this later on, but I got a, probably like the best possible experience given all the circumstances, like where I was sat, it was a really good bunch of guys and yeah everyone was obviously gutted but i didn't hear or see anything untoward okay okay yeah and and i've spoke to a few people who were, were at various pubs and you know kind of mass screenings and um i spoke to a, a friend of mine who's, who's a bit of an arsenal fan and he was he was saying that one of the things that he was really surprised about was you know when saka came on the reaction from everyone was amazing. Like everyone was cheering. Everyone was so happy. Um, you know, and it was a really, you know, clearly he was like, wow, he's, he is really a loved player. And, 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 and he did even mention, you know, I said, was there any trouble at the end? Was there any kind of, and he goes, someone broken, broke a parasol. But like, there was no kind of abuse directed at players. There was no whatever. So, you know, the footage, I think that we've seen, we see some really disgusting things. Right. And some of the things that you've mentioned, Mize, I mean, you know, there, there, those are real things that happened. Like there were people who were really getting abused and it's, it's, it's disgusting. And it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's awful. It is a minority, but, but the problem is the minority in their actions are very loud. Mm. You know, Especially on social media, right? On, on um, social media, yeah. Where it's just a complete free-for-all. People can say what they want, do what they want, and there's basically no consequences, which is which is a bit of a joke, really. And like, yeah, we could go on about this, but the whole Black Lives Matter taking the knee thing, the reaction to the politicians at the start of the tournament versus like how they've all changed their tone now because they see the public mood has shifted. Um, I, I, yeah, like it's tough being someone from an ethnic minority background, being in the spotlight like that some of those players are. Um, and, you know, I feel for them. I feel for them. I feel like you you knew it was coming. You see it, mm. you see it in the day-to-day Premier League games. Um, and, you know, you can talk about racism in this country and this country does have a racism problem in certain, certain segments. I don't think this country is racist, but there are racists in this country. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but then social media is just a different game. And I think, you know, how has, you know, how has the world let social media just become this place where this is just acceptable and encouraged and actually amplified? Especially when there's a technology to stop it. Yeah. Like that, you, you post a, a picture from a, like a copyright source. It's gone within two minutes. You post a, a video from the Premier League. That'll be down within 30 seconds. But Racist Abuse has just left up and... You know, and like people retweet it, people take screenshots and people comment and then they show it on everyone else's newsfeed. Um, and it just like people then encourage to do it again and again because they know it gets spotlight. No consequence. Yeah. yeah. The, the, the other kind of scary thing, I guess, I mean, like everything you just said, Aaron, is completely true, completely valid. Uh, there isn't enough control and kind of monitoring and um, uh, uh, and kind of restrictions put on what people can say. But I guess... I kind of feel like even if that was all in place, right? People who want to say it, like ignorant people, um, and whatever you want to call them, you know, racist essentially, if they want to say it, they still will in through another format. Um, and if you look at the, I guess this is alleged at the moment, but I mean, I shared that screenshot of the um, Snapchat conversation between the uh, Portsmouth under 18 
team or some yeah, some yeah. of their players, right? Uh, again, alleged. So I guess it's not confirmed that it is definitely them or, or the people that have been named. But you know that that's those people are writing those things, albeit they're under 18s. Um, so obviously need a lot of education. Um, but they're writing those things thinking that no one else is going to see them. So it's obviously it's kind of like the other side of people anonymously coming on, you know, creating Twitter accounts or Instagram accounts and and commenting on black players. Um, posts or whatever and, and writing whatever they're writing um knowing that they can't get caught because it's essentially an anonymous profile and no one's going to try yeah. and track them down even though that does sometimes happen and and then i guess individual groups of people that are friends or whatever are also still more than more com- are comfortable you know saying the things that they're saying um because they think that you know it's gonna no one's gonna screenshot this and post it all on social media. And in this one instance, it's happened from a professional football club's under 18 team. But yeah. probably happens, probably happens everywhere, you know, probably happens probably. Or, or, you know, or, and so there's obviously a much, much, much bigger kind of problem um in society. And obviously we can't really get into that now. Um, because like like we said, we could talk about it for for hours, but that's kind of the scary thing for me, really. Um and all the controls you can put in on social media, which should should be put in place to kind of stop it um, and stop players having to, you know, go onto their phones and, and see this stuff on a daily basis. I guess the people that want to write these things will just find another way to do it, you know? Yeah. And, you know, without... wanting to get too political. Sorry, I'll just quickly finish. That's right. um, it, like Gary Neville said this either on the day or the next day that it starts at the top of this, this yeah. country, right? If, the leadership, I'm not going to accuse them of being racist, but if the leadership in this country, the Home Secretary, the Prime Minister, downplay it and don't take it seriously, then, you know, who is? And, and it starts there. And it takes, it's going to take years. It is getting better, but that doesn't mean this country is free of it. And yeah, it happens in other countries. It happens in Italy. It happens probably in Eastern Europe. It's 10 times worse there. But that doesn't mean we ignore the problem here and we just think it's okay because it's not. And there's so many people have put in so much research into trying to understand how we can stop this in the long term, right? And the three of us, we've all been educated in England. We've all been educated here. And I think you'll all agree with me, a big omission a big glaring omission from when we were, you know, being educated. When you learn about the UK's history, you don't learn about colonialism. You don't yeah. learn about the the past about Britain's um, involvement and and Britain's kind of interjections and unwanted advances in other countries and how that's impacted, you know, our makeup today of of this country and 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 if you consider that at a young age, you're probably more likely to have different views when you're older. Um, and look, I think again, this is a massive conversation, but I think you know, like you said, Mize, fine if you if you get IDs. Um, if you get verified on Twitter and if you have ways on social media, you can control it. People who want to say it are still going to say it. They're still going to do it somehow. So to solve that, you need to start from the bottom and actually get educate a new generation who don't think that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of people who have put a lot of thought into this, but otherwise this is just going to be a continuous problem. Um, I guess the least it's nice to see people get punished for it. Maybe some people will get put off. Maybe some people will go, why am I being punished? Why do people get punished for it? Okay. That makes sense. Mm. I don't know, you know, like, but um, you know, one thing that has been nice has been this, this reaction from such a big population of people who even almost before the abuse started knew the abuse was coming and was kind of like, you know, come on, like 
we've got to kind of almost do the polar opposite of this and seeing the outpour of goodness and kindness and and support that these players have had. It, it is an interesting question that I want to pose to you guys in a minute, you know, but I just wanted to give an example of that kindness. There's a friend of mine and, um, and his, his daughter, there's a, there's a, there's a little article that I'll probably share on, on Twitter. Um, they go to, his daughter goes to a school called Brookman's Park and all the students there have written letters to Bukayo Saka and they are all going to hand deliver them, hand deliver it to his house, um, you know, to, for, for all their support, uh, you know, to, to show their support. And I thought it was a lovely thing to do. That's just an example of, you know, that kind of the opposite of evil that we see. Yeah but, nice. the, yeah. but the question I wanted to give to you guys is at what point, if you are Bukayo Saka or Sancho or Rashford, do you go, okay, like I really appreciate all the support, but now I'm kind of feeling like a bit of a loser because everyone is kind <laughs> of like, is, is going a bit over the top on the like, oh, don't worry. You're awesome. You're great. Like, you know, you're the best. Here's a mural, like whatever. Like at what point, if you are a Bukayo Saka and a Rashford, whatever, do you go, okay, like I really appreciate it, but I'm over it now, guys. I'm, I'm kind of, I want, <laughs> yeah. I want to be one and I actually want to do better and I actually want to win in a competition and whatever, like, and, and like, just, just whatever. I mean, just a question. I mean, what do you think? Maybe I'm completely wrong there. Like, I wonder if there is a point. I don't know. It depends. Like, I, I expect first home game of the season, which is what Chelsea, I think. Um, he'll get a very good reception from the home, assuming crowds, crowds are there, like from the home fans, and that'll be nice. Um, and you know, maybe I don't know. Maybe I'm overestimating how much people will respond. But maybe you know, a couple of away games. Um, Brentford away is our first game, I think. If he's if he's playing, I don't know if he will be. Um, maybe he'll get a good reaction from the home fans there too, um, which will be nice. But, you know, you'd kind of hope that at some point we, we move on as a, as a country to say, actually, uh, it's time for like to, to actually focus on the Premier League and qualifying for the next World Cup and all that stuff. And I think hopefully by the, the first round of internationals in what September, October time, this will all be done and we can move past it. Yeah. Yeah, I'd probably think the same. I think it'll probably kind of die down. Maybe die down is not the right term to use, but um, yeah, I think it'll probably die down after after a few weeks. And yeah, I think some of these players are going to get really, really good receptions. I think Saka's going to get an unbelievable reception. Unbelievable. Unbelievable reception um, from probably not just the Arsenal fans, um, but yeah, especially the Arsenal fans. I think it's going to be an amazing, amazing thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, um, I mean... Yeah, it's re- it is really nice to see, like you said, Raj, um, at the moment. Uh, and um, yeah, about anything else you guys want to add on on, on that topic? No, no, no. Maybe just right. I, I just say, like, given I, as you know, I can't make the Chelsea game, and one of the sad things is the idea that if Saka plays, I want to be part of that reaction. You know, I want to be part of that community of people who are just giving him so much kind of support and affection um, maybe you should uh, send him a letter <laughs> should I send him a letter <laughs> yeah exactly well, maybe, you know, it doesn't matter I'm best man at this wedding I'll just like yeah. sack, sack it off for the, the, to give Saka the, the reception he deserves yeah uh, cool um, I guess we can quickly have a chat about just the because the, I went to the, both the semi-finals I was lucky enough to go to both um, Aaron and you as you said you went to the final just have a quick chat about and Raj, you watched it home alone. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, just joking. My mum was there. <laughs> um, yeah, just have a chat about kind of the experience, really, because like 
I mean, the England semi-final was just unbelievable. Like I've obviously been to quite a number of, lucky enough to have gone to quite a number of games, um, Arsenal, kind of big Arsenal games, North London derbies, Champions League games, uh, cup finals, you know, some pretty big games. Um, but I have to say that the Denmark game was just on another level in terms of the actual, in terms of the kind of build up to the game or yeah, build up to the game and atmosphere wise and the buzz within the stadium, you know, the fans, um, everything about it was just, it was just, uh, it was just ridiculous. It was another level. And obviously the fact that the game was a tight game and it went to extra time and everything like that kind of added to that, um, excitement, but, um, yeah, yeah, it was an unbelievable experience. I'm really, really glad I went. I don't know how how the final was for you, Aaron. And- yeah, it was overall. It was I actually had a positive experience, but it, the caveats and the potential for it to have turned into a negative experience are quite high. Um, so I, I agree. Like the the atmosphere inside the ground once you're in was like unbelievable. Mm. Like the national anthems, uh, there was some kind of silly closing ceremony thing where they moved around like a massive like 50 foot euro trophy that was pretty cool um, and um and then like obviously the first five minutes of the game when you know like you know you know what it is like the first couple of minutes of the game always like really like the atmosphere is amazing and then obviously we went up the end of the pitch and pretty much scored probably our first chance of the game i think and like the celebration of that goal was incredible i've never like i've never celebrated a goal like that um, I've never seen a stadium like that. And obviously, like throughout the game, it was just a really, really good experience. But just, you know, like, I think like football culture is good. Like we we love football culture. We love going to games. We love singing songs. We love, you know, having a drink before the game. All that stuff is really good. And you don't want to take that out of football because that is for us, like what going to football is all about. But there were quite a few num like quite a few people that took that a little bit too far. Like before the ground outside Wembley, like we've been to Wembley before cup finals and people have a drink outside and that that's okay. But there were a lot of people doing that. Um, I think the estimate there was like 200,000 people on Wembley way, which is insane. And then like even the crowds of people, like people singing, it was just like, there were big, big crowds. And, um, there was, I remember there was one guy who was like letting off fireworks, like holding his hand in the crowd. And then there was um, a couple of like glass bottles flying around and like those sort of things. You think, well, you know, if, if that hits you, that's not just your day ruined, but that could be like life changing if a glass bottle hits you on the head or if like a firework hits you in the eye or something like that. Um, and it's that kind of stuff, firstly, that you just want to cut out, like people having a drink and having a good time. That's fine. You want to encourage that and enjoy that. Um, and then getting into the ground, that's where things got a bit sketchy because people had tried to get in. Like, first of all, the COVID thing was just non-existent. I didn't even bother checking that because yeah, it was no ridiculous. I don't think there was any policing. I didn't really see any police. And then the stewards just, like they had this digital ticket thing, but they didn't really like, they were messing about with the activation of the ticket. And it basically meant that at the turnstiles, there weren't, re- there wasn't really a queuing system. It was kind of a free-for-all that was bottlenecking at the turnstiles. And you were stood there for like 20, 25 minutes trying to get in. Um, and it's different. Like when we queue up for the Emirates, it's it's organized chaos. But this was just chaos. And there were a few times where people were just like, push, push. And thankfully, no one did. But if they did push, 
Like that's mm-hmm. when things potentially could get could get quite ugly. And then even inside, like you get inside the, the um concourses and there are a lot of people there. And I didn't know until like half time or around like early on the start of the game that people had broken in. Um, but there were a lot of people there. The queues for the toilets were insane. Um, thankfully, where we were sat in the upper tier, there wasn't too much. And the stewards did come and check our tickets a couple of times when we were out of seats. But the entire upper lower tier was like packed and it didn't feel like a, a reduced capacity game. It very much felt like there were 90,000 plus people at Wembley. Um, and luckily nothing crazy happened and nothing unsafe happened, but yeah, the potential for disaster was certainly there. And that's more the worry rather than the game itself being not great for me. It was fun. Mm. So it's interesting. You said about the police because the semi-final experience I had, and I noticed it on the first semi-final, the Italy one, Italy, Spain game, there was a lot of, I don't know. It felt like there was a lot of police presence. Um, and even when I went to get some food, when you come out of Wembley Park Station, I think it is, is that the one at the top of, top yeah, of Wembley yeah. Way, before you go down the steps? On the right-hand side, there's a chicken shop, Raj, that we went to for the cup final. I don't even remember it. So I basically <laughs> took, I, I took um, my, my brother-in-law to the same chicken shop. Um, and there was even police presence going up and down that road, which is not really in the direction of the stadium. Yeah, if you're walking yeah. down that road, you're going well away from the stadium. So I thought it was pretty well covered for yeah, for both semi-finals, even the even the Italy Spain one, when I guess there's probably less chance of trouble because less England fans. But um, yes, I don't know what they were dealing. Maybe they were dealing with the stuff, and that's why I didn't see them because they were maybe trying to deal with the people who were breaking in. But like so, Wembley Way was completely packed, and they just throughout the day they didn't handle that situation very well. An interesting, an interesting thing in which. Uh, I don't know all the details of how this works, but there's something around the fact that because Wembley is effectively like a private place, um, and I think Wembley Way also to to some extent have... Eric, sorry, where I'm going with this is the police don't actually have the right to be in certain places unless Wembley invite them. So, for example, the police can't just themselves kind of like be patrolling Wembley itself and be kind of actually affecting any kind of security style kind of work, I suppose, around the stadium itself or in the stadium or whatever. It has to be at the behest and at the request of the actual stadium itself. So it's, which creates an interesting dynamic, I think, and it will be interesting. And clearly there's an investigation going into it at the moment um, as to how, Wembley dealt with that and here's the thing is as you guys know like and Mice you met him once if you remember uh you know an old colleague of mine is number two at the FA and on match day it was effectively his responsibility to be the ultimate point of escalation if there's any kind of security challenges what on Sunday Oh, no, so his job oh. generally at the FA, because oh, right, he's number yeah, two yeah. at the FA, that's what his kind of, he's like the, the, the ultimate escalation point, if you like. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I remember him, like, it was joking, because when we spoke to him, it was the, I think, Carling Cup final. And he was kind of saying, yeah, it's like pretty chilled out today, because it's Man City Arsenal. And that's like a Cat D, category, uh, you know, <laughs> a Cat D security game. As, and he was funny, because he goes, as opposed to like, you know, Tottenham versus anyone. Like, <laughs> and... Um, <laughs> Uh, anyway, like when the dust settles, because I certainly wouldn't, I bet you there's a million people just trying to, who know him, who are messaging him going, yeah, what the fuck happened? When the <laughs> dust settles, I, I'd love to like have a conversation with him to just figure out exactly what happened and and whether they, you know, whether in his mind they did anything wrong or anything kind of, you know, outside of their control happened. Because the other thing that, you know, as I mentioned to you guys, 
and as we were discussing before this uh, we started recording is when we've gone to finals we've noticed people in there without tickets mm-hmm. you know and it, it happens like it's not and and you know there was one family in particular who you know were, who when when Mize and I went and took our seats I remember it was very clearly when we took our seats, there were a bunch of people who were clearly like in and around these seats. And it became very clear eventually they didn't all have seats of their own. Um, and when we started talking to them, they basically said, yeah, look, you know, we, we've kind of, we, we sort of do this all the time. And, you know, we, we we just kind of hand the ticket behind us. So we have like two tickets and there's five of us and we just hand the ticket behind. And I'm thinking in my head, surely like that's just ridiculous. Like, is there not, if you scan yeah. it once, why isn't there a way in which you can't scan it again to enter? Is it? I mean, clearly, the, it, clearly, if it was that easy, there would. Yeah, be. I mean, they can't even do that with your Oyster card, can you? Like, let <laughs> 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 yeah, alone bloody cut final ticket. Yeah, um, I, I thought they. Um, a lot of people, and they probably do do this as well. They just tailgate. They just tailgate the person in front. Just and, yeah, that's yeah. like that's one thing, right? And that's why you have turnstiles. That's why you have controls. And but I think. Like you saw some of the footage of people like literally breaking the turnstiles. Like there are stories of people bribing stewards to try and get past like checks and stuff, like a couple of hundred quid to a couple of each steward gets you past apparently and stuff like that. And um yeah, like you you hear these stories about how like I've never like I don't think either of you guys have either been to England away, but like the trouble that gets caused um when england either play in these tournaments or playing away games and you know they how they trash the cities and stuff like that and you know we've been to away games and we know what like an away trip is like and you can kind of like think well some of that is okay like have a drink in a square that's okay you know be respectful sing some songs you know have a couple of drinks that's all okay like that's fine i think some of the coverage comes from people just not understanding that but i saw like a lot of people and i was like this is you guys are just taking it too far by football standards like there is a significant proportion of the kind of what i think are like day tripping england fans who like obviously they don't have any intention of going to the game initially they just went there to like soak up the atmosphere and then there was like a significant proportion who were like i'm gonna find a way into this game and cause trouble and do what i can because i've had a few drinks and that's the kind of stuff you want to cut out it's interesting, isn't it, when you saw the footage of um, that some people took from inside the stadium where you see people breaking in and you see them, like, overpowering the stewards. And there were fans who had, oh, yeah. legitima- you know, yeah. who legitimately uh, bought tickets who were basically this, they're not having any of it. And, and <laughs> you know, and were properly beating up some of these guys who had broken in. And I thought that was a very interesting thing to happen. Um, yeah, I'm not sure if I, like, if I was like, oh, maybe they're stopping them, well, good on them, and they start kicking some guy's head in, and I was like, oh, maybe not then. <laughs> yeah, they were really kicking his head in, wasn't it? Yeah, it was like really serious. But you know, uh, yeah, go on, go on, Rush. All I was saying is these stewards aren't paid enough to deal with that. Yeah. So I don't blame these stewards mm. at all. Like, they're not paid, that, you know. So um, uh, they've got to, you know, the FA or whoever, like, they've got to think of better ways to do it. And you could probably argue that, I mean, there's an argument to say, Literally, I mean, kind of to your point, Aaron, and like the volumes of people was just at a kind of almost cataclysmic scale. Yeah. That how can you put in controls in place to deal with that level? And I think of the power? because the way Wembley is is that you've literally got this one big road from the yeah. station to the stadium. Like you can't. It's quite hard to put in like controls and checks halfway through because you're just going to get a bunch of people halfway up Wembley Way 
who are going to try and force their way way through. So I, I I can imagine from a security perspective, it's quite a hard thing to police. Whereas like some of the stadiums that I've been to, like the Allianz Arena is like a it's like a stadium in the middle of like absolutely nowhere. And there's loads of space. Um, Myers, when we went to San Siro, San Siro is quite similar. It's quite in an open mm. area. So there's mm. ways to like stop people getting in like near the stadium. Whereas Wembley, it's just one big road from the tube station to the um to the ground it, it might be quite hard but you know they should have seen it coming like people were there from like 10 11 o'clock and you know maybe they should have just move the kickoff earlier um to like a one o'clock or two o'clock kickoff and maybe that would have just eased the situation and i do feel sorry for like some people because some of those lower tier tickets were very expensive and you imagine rocking up paying like 600 euros for your ticket and someone's in your seat and you have to watch this, watch the game from like the stairs, something like that. Must be well annoying. Mm. Terrible. And you hear someone's like even Roberto Mancini's son. Yeah. Like couldn't sit in a seat. And there were people, yeah. people stood in the disabled areas and like a bunch of disabled people who are in wheelchairs just couldn't Gosh. see because people were standing up in front of them. Um, I heard something about Harry Maguire's uncle. Dad. 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 Yeah, Dad. Yeah, yeah. 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 Like, and that's the point where you think like if, if the ground is so unsafe where you can't take a family member, you can't take your your partner or your kid, that's when something has gone wrong. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, hopefully they look into it, um, identify some of the culprits and um, do what needs to be done, I guess. Um, but yeah, all right, boys. Uh, lots more that we could talk about, um, especially Arsenal related. There's obviously a lot going on. Um, like you said, the, the the players are back. Preseason has started. We obviously we had a game yesterday, um, but uh, I think we're going to be talking about that and the other uh, game against Rangers coming up this weekend. So basically, our, our little Scotland kind of mini tour. We'll be talking about that that next week. So um, and and transfers and everything else that's going to be going on. Uh, things are starting to to ramp up, which is nice. Um, so yeah, I guess until then, guys. As always, thank you so much for tuning in. Um, cheers, boys, and we'll see you next time. See ya. Bye-bye. Cheers. Bye. Bye. Cheers. <laughs>